All right, well, we are going to go to a whole new place this morning, in the Bible, that is. So, uh, go ahead and bow your heads. Let's pray, Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. God, I ask that you would open our hearts, God, that we would be open, Lord, as we talk about uh, these Ten Commandments, Lord, uh, we can tend to see uh, perhaps a little harshness or, or sternness and Lord, I pray you'd open us to see the Father's love for his people and for his children as we go through these 10 statements. And God, for those who are checking God out, seeking God, seeking if there is a God, I pray that they would see uh, not a a, a God that is kind of like a harsh grandfather, but Lord, a God who is that loving Father who has mercy and compassion and grace and only do us good. In Jesus' name, amen. As he was coming down the mountain, he could begin to hear in the distance the sounds of the crowds. He had a little cart with him, and he was transporting two of the most important stone tablets in the history of humanity. Carved by the finger of God himself were ten statements that God had for his people. As Moses got to the base of the mountain, where the mountain turned into the flat land, his attendant was there with him. His name was Joshua. And Joshua came up to him and he said, Moses, I think we're being attacked by an enemy. The people are crying with a big uproar, and I think there's a war cry going on. And as Moses began to look, and he began to sense in his spirit, he looked at Joshua and he said, That's no war cry. Forrest, can you take the trim down or the gain down a little bit on this before I cause an earthquake? (laughs) That just came to me. You know, when you're speaking of Moses and all that, you know, earthquakes, big signs. So, (laughs) and so he went to Joshua and he said, let's go. And as he began to go toward the camp where the Israelites were at, he saw his brother Aaron up out of the fire, lift up a cow, a calf, made out of gold. And he shouted, These, O Israel, these are the gods who saved you from Egypt. Worship them. These, O Israel, are the gods who saved you from Egypt. And as Moses got closer, he saw to his horror one of the biggest drunken orgies he'd ever seen in his life. Thousands of people, revelry, a big, huge party. But Moses wasn't grieved enough by that. He looked and he saw peeking out of their tents the faces of little children as they watched their mom and their dad, their aunts and their uncles. And that great man Aaron set down that calf And they all danced around the calf, worshipped the calf, were having illicit sex all around, and worshipping their gods as the Egyptians did. And Moses took one look at them and said, and thought to himself, God has set us free. And yet, they still were not free. They still could not break loose. 
from Egypt's gods. They still could not walk in the freedom that God had given them. This morning, we're going to be talking about probably the 10 most important statements uh, that are found throughout the world. Most people throughout all of the, everywhere I've ever been, you say the Ten Commandments, they know it. But what do we really think when we hear that statement, the Ten Commandments? I mean, imagine you're in the break room of wherever you work, whether it's the county or schoolroom or out on a job site, and you get some people around and go, say, hey, let's talk about the Ten Commandments. No, 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 no. We don't want to talk about that, you know. Uh, hey, what do you think about commandment number five? Isn't that a good one? You know, I mean, we can get kind of really freaked and geeked out when we start talking about these Ten Commandments because they sound negative. When you say it, all, I bet you many of you, when I say Ten Commandments, there's something like a little negative thing that goes on inside, doesn't it? Like, like oh, yeah. Those are the things I can't keep. Oh, yeah, those are things I can't even remember. You know, oh, yeah, you know. We can get a very negative reaction. And yet, those are some of the most ten loving statements that God specifically makes to humanity. And if you look deeply, you'll see the Father's heart behind all of them. But me like you... (laughs) I mean, if you're anything like me, when I hear the word Ten Commandments, I think the Ten Party Killers, you know? (laughs) I think the Ten Guilt Enforcers. Uh, When you say the name the Ten Commandments, I mean, let's face it, we often don't hear a lot of love in that title, the Ten Commandments, right? We we, we, We hear a lot of sternness and maybe even fear. Maybe we hear the Ten Ways that God wants to control people with the rattle of chains and the clank of padlocks. We hear God saying, you mess with me, you break these, I will squash you like a bug. And of course, the devil plays into that all the time. The devil is always trying to portray God as a killjoy, a prude, a stern old grandfather that doesn't want anybody to have any fun. And it began in the Garden of Eden. What was the serpent's response to Eve when Eve said, God has commanded us not to eat from this one tree. Every other tree we can see as far as the horizon goes. We can eat from it. We can climb from it. We can hang from it. I'm not saying there were monkeys. That's not a statement on evolution. Please don't, you know. But there's one tree that he has said we cannot eat. And what did the serpent say? Has God really commanded you not to eat from this one Oh, Eve, what a pity. Oh, Eve, what a shame. Oh, man, he's holding out on you. (laughs) Don't be such a sucker, Eve. Don't you know? God knows that once you eat from this tree, you will be like him. You will know good and evil. You will have wisdom. Man, God's, God's way too confiding for you, Eve. Eve, Eve, listen to me. Eve, listen. Think about it. Eve, true freedom. Eve, true freedom is breaking free from the confinements that God has. It's breaking free from his restrictions. Eve, take take it, eat from it. You'll know that what I'm saying is true. 
and everything's going to be wonderful because you're going to be like God. You know, I want to be like God too. I'll tell you what, we'll eat it together. I know the Bible doesn't say that, but just go with me on it. And of course, that has been the point. When God gives these commandments, is he somehow trying to restrict or confine or withhold freedom from us? Or do the confinements bring the freedom we so seek? Let's face it. Nobody likes to be told what to do, all right? I hate being told what to do. I don't like anybody telling me, you got to do this. I mean, you know, it's just natural. You know, when I was a kid and my mom said, go clean your room. I thought to myself, you go clean my room. You know, so it's, you know, we, we got this, you know, thing inside of us. Uh, when I was at the doctor uh, about a month ago, as you know, I, got, I get tested for my liver all the time. And, and she said, you know, uh, of your six elevated enzymes, five of them are down. Five of them are, are good. Uh, by the way, what that means is I'm not going to go into liver failure anytime soon, which means I'm not going to die anytime soon, which means you're stuck with me. So uh, you know, <laughs> thank you for praying for me because I am out of the woods in terms of you know, terminal liver, liver failure. But there is one part of my liver that still doesn't work very well. It's the part that has trouble breaking down protein. And so, and of course, you know what has a lot of protein, right? Well, meat, yeah, but I mean, come on, let's face it. What do we all really want? Steak, yes. No? <laughs> okay, maybe I'm alone in this, but steak, you know, I mean, that's, you know, that, that man, that's, I'd have ate the golden calf. Anyway, so, you know, so we, this, you know, steak, and I, I'm at this conference, uh, the last couple of days I was at a church conference, and the, the night, uh, by the way, Pastor Heather, you guys know Pastor Heather? She got ordained two nights ago. I don't think she's here anymore. But yeah, she, she got, she, I, was the, I, I got to be there. I was wonderful. And, and so the night that she's going to do this, we go to the dinner line. And what is there? And this is like a big bucket. Well, you know what I mean. Big serving tin of tri-tip steak. And I'm standing in front of it. And all I can hear is, don't eat steak. Don't eat steak. And the other side of me is going, shut up! Don't eat steak. Your liver can't break it down. I don't care. It's free and there's a lot of it. You know? <laughs> and I'm, I'm staring at the steak. It's like... Like in the Matrix, you know, when the guy's eating the steak, he goes, I know that this isn't real. <laughs> you know, I'm staring at, imagining myself eating the steak. And of course, you know, I put my fork down. I get one little sliver. I slap it on my plate. Because I, I, I can eat some. You know, I just can't eat what I, what I want to eat, but, you know, some. And then I, you know, I start to move my tray, and all of a sudden my fork just didn't come with me. <laughs> it's like, come, come, come on, come on. It happened to have another piece on it. I, I wasn't going to be rude and put it back, you know, so I you know, had the two pieces of steak. But I didn't want to be told what to do. Ooh. I get this sometimes, too, when I'm driving. My, my wife does not like the way I drive. Because sometimes I like to, you know, drive a little fast. And, and so she had this thing. Well, she used to squeeze my knee. You know, that was the code. 
slowed down. Now she grabs my wrist. Whoop. <laughs> it's great to be short, man. If, if I was six foot tall, I'd have been, no, anyway. Um, and now she grabs my wrist, but I get a little worried. You know, she grabbed my wrist, you know, the wheel, you know, and so actually sometimes, all right, I did this once. She grabbed my wrist, and just to kind of like, you know, get back at her, I like turn the wheel like, like, like she's making me get in a car crash. What are you doing? Don't grab my wrist, you know. Because <laughs> there's something inside of us we don't, you know, when somebody starts telling us something to do, there, there, there's this almost like everything in me now, I want to do that, you know. My mom's like, you know, don't taste this. When I was a kid, I don't want you to taste the, oh, what was it? It was like, oh, the stuff that fudge before it hardens. I don't want you to stick the spoon in there and taste it. Oh, man. Oh, man. I'd sit there staring at it. You know, run along. Run along. You know, she, she, she knew she needed to get me out of the kitchen. You know? Something in us, we, 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 we have this tendency when, when we're placed with a, uh, either a restriction or a, or, a, or a commandment, so to speak, that we don't like being told what to do. But the fact of the matter is, that is not what the Ten Commandments are about at all. Oh, they are commandments. But it's not with that heart of control. I hope what you'll see at the end of this time we're studying these is that you will see it is with God's heart of freedom that he wants to give to all of us. And so we start not with the what of the Ten Commandments, but the when. It is equally important that we look at when God gives these ten statements, because when is very, very important. The Israelites had been suffering as slaves in Egypt for about 400 years. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was an Israelite, I would have wanted God to come and rescue me year one, right? All right, maybe year two, I'll learn my lesson, you know? Year three, for sure. Come on, year seven, that's the number of completion. Year 49, that's the Jubilee year, you know? 400 years go by. And the thing that breaks the camel's back is that the Egyptians began to kill the firstborn males. And so they're enslaved, and now God comes. God's timing is often a puzzle and a mystery for all of us. But if you look back closely in hindsight, you will often see God's plan and God's purpose in it. For example, when the disciples were in the boat, Jesus' disciples, Jesus sends them out into the middle of the lake and a big storm comes up. It's such a bad storm, they think they're going to capsize and die. But instead, Jesus walks on water Peter walks on water, and he gets into the boat, and what happens when Jesus gets in the boat? Boom! Everything gets calm, and they're safe. Now, between you and I, if I was one of the disciples, I'd have looked at Jesus and said, why couldn't you have been here an hour ago? I mean, if you were going to come anyway, why did we have to go through this at all? But see, if Jesus would have come an hour earlier, they wouldn't have seen him walk on water. They wouldn't have seen him calm the wind. They wouldn't have seen him calm the waves. Many of you may know the story of the three Hebrew princes, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They rebelled, not rebelled, they refused to worship the king of Persia. The king of Persia was so mad at them that he had a furnace 
heated to probably somewhere over 6,000 degrees Fahrenheit so that the moment that those three men were thrown in there, they would incinerate. Now, if I was Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, I would have wanted God to save me before they threw me in the furnace. Amen. Did God do that? Why? Because God wanted Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego to meet the fourth man in the furnace who would lead them out of the furnace unburned. So a lot of times, you know, our timing is, God, if you'd have just done this a little sooner, but God's often saying, you know what, I allowed this to play out a little bit so that you could see my love, my glory, my power, my heart, my deliverance for you. And sometimes we see that when we're in the sticky situations, not when life is all rosy and cush and comfy and we're passing gas on the couch. <laughs> I heard a hallelujah out there. That's, I don't know all about that, but Egypt had been, I mean, Israel had been suffering from slavery and persecution in Egypt. God sends 10 plagues and he gets them out of Egypt. But the Egyptian army pursues them. God parts the Red Sea. They cross in it. God closes up the Red Sea, giving Israel its greatest military victory to that date. They totally defeat the Egyptian army. Uh, they, God causes water to come out of the rock. God feeds them. God, before God ever made one of these ten commandments, God had already been their God. He had already loved them. He had already saved them. Without God, Israel wouldn't have had a chance. And I say that over myself. Man, without God... Tom Mackey wouldn't have a chance. I wouldn't have a chance. I'm one little minnow in a river far more powerful than I. And here's the wake-up call. We're all just one little minnow in a river we cannot control. That's the beauty of God. He wants to come and not just be God. He says, I'm your father. I want to love you. I want to have a relationship with you. And it's in this context, after God has done all these things, where he sits down with the people of Israel and says, I have 10 things I want you to remember. Beginning in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 3, says this, And God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. He starts with, I am the Lord your God. He's essentially, God is essentially saying, put God first. Make God first priority in your life and keep him there. And I will tell you that that statement right there, to put God first, is the greatest challenge of my life and my greatest area of weakness. If I can just be vulnerable for a minute, I am, I am as easily distracted as all of you. I can get grumpy and cranky and moody and fleshy and hungry and hangry and everything else, just like everybody else. And it can be so hard in the midst of all that to put God first and keep God first. It's one of my greatest challenges. I look at the other 10, and I realize some of them are not even really struggles at all. Uh, I, I, I've never killed anyone. I'm not really tempted to kill anyone. Or I'm tempted to kill one person. But that, you know, but that's kind of more of a joke. You know, it's not real. You know? But, you know, 
I don't go to court. I, I don't think I'm going to perjure myself anytime soon. You know, I, I don't cheat on my wife. You know, I mean, there's some other commandments where I'm like, yes, good. I love it. I can do that. That's great. It's this very first one on which the other nine hang on that I have such a struggle with. It's such a challenge. Because I can quickly become like the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. If you have a Bible, go ahead. and I, don't, I can't remember if I put it up or not. But if you have a Bible in, in Revelation chapter 2, this is what God says. God says, I know your deeds. And I always personalize this. Tom, I know your deeds. Tom, I know you're a hard worker. I know your perseverance. I know you don't, you don't tolerate evil and you've tested those who claim to be somebody but they're not and you found them false. You've persevered and you have endured hardship for my name and you have not grown weary. Tom, you're a great worker. You're like a robot for the Lord, man. You're a great worker. Jesus says, but this we have between us. You've lost your first love. I don't want you to be my robot, Tom. I want you to be my son don't want you to just do things for me. I want you to be my son with me in relationship. All pre-Ten Commandments religions were based on what you did for the God. They'd build a little statue, an idol. And, and of course, you can see this in some parts of the world today. You'd bring that idol food. That little statue needed to be fed. So you'd bring it food. You'd bring it drink. You'd dance around it. You'd bow to it. But you did all these things for the God. The God required that. If you didn't do that, something bad could happen to you. That's why they began to be afraid of their gods. They would have illicit sex in front of the God. They would sacrifice their children in front of the God. All of these things they saw in Egypt, they did in Egypt, and God was wanting to bring them out saying, you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to do anything for me. I am your God. You're my son, Israel. I want us to have a relationship of love, not fear. Jesus says you've, you've forsaken your first love. The first commandment is all about love. It's all about God. I mean, if you look at the other commandments, it's about how we treat each other more than what we do for the God. Because what God wants more than anything is that we love Him. That we love people. That is our proper act of worship. I go home so happy from Life Point Church when those two things have happened. When I see us loving God and worship. And then after the service when I see you guys all talking. I mean, it's just like, I wish I could just sit and be in that for hours it's nothing like it but then we come to the second part of the statement he says i am the lord your god who led you out of egypt a friend of mine recently asked me the question are you driven by anxiety or led by peace are you driven by fear or led by peace. If you think of a slave driver, right? They got what? A whip, right? And they're driving slaves. 
make bricks, make bricks, make bigger bricks, make more bricks, make bricks, you know, and they're whipping them, and they're driving them, and the Israelites are afraid because they don't want to get whipped, and they don't want to get killed, and they don't want to have to make more bricks. They're being driven by fear. And I know for many of us, we may not be making bricks, but we can have anxieties that drive us. Money, that's a huge one. In fact, it's such a huge one, the idol is growing more and more and more. It's going to take a miraculous toppling of God to knock it down. You think of losing your job, that's, a, that's an anxiety. You think, uh, you know, health, health's another one. I am make it. I had that for a while. When my doctor looked at me and said, Tom, you need to take this serious. People, guys your age die from this. Oh. I wish he hadn't said it that way because I took that in a fearful way. I was driven by I was driven by anxiety. Losing your job. And when you're driven by anxiety, it is like being enslaved to it. When I first was told I have a big nodule, polyp, on my vocal cords. And they said, if you don't stop preaching and singing and doing what you do, you'll lose your voice. You'll be gone forever. Maybe when you're 40, maybe when you're 50, maybe when you're 60. But there will just come a time where you will no longer be able to do what you do. My first thought was, I've talked enough in my lifetime to talk two lifetimes, so I don't need to say anything more. Well, my... <laughs> Some of you agreed a little too quickly with that one. <laughs> but uh, my second thought was, you know, this is my tool. This is what I do for work. I, I began to get driven by anxiety. Oh, my gosh. I, maybe I better go back to school and learn computers. I don't think you have to talk to them yet. <laughs> no? Maybe, I, I mean, I, I began to think, I got I to get out of ministry now i got to save what I have left now so I can give a toast at my son's wedding. I mean, I, I was paralyzed and driven by fear. And I, just step, and I had to step back and say, you know what, Father? If this is what you've called me to do and this is what you have for me, then I am going to trust that I can be 99 years old and I can still do this right now. <laughs> Nothing is going to stop the plan of God when it's God. Amen? So think about it for a moment. What drives you? Recently on the radio program, we were talking to a former sex slave who lived in Bakersfield and worked on Union. Yep, they're only six miles away. You don't have to go to Cambodia to find them. They are right here in Bakersfield off of Union. And she said, my life was under total control by the pimp. What I ate, where I slept, who I talked to, what I did. And I said, how did you stay in that? She said, I was afraid, deathly afraid. So the pastor comes to get her off the street. She said, fear had been so birthed in my heart that when a minister of God came to rescue me and bring me into freedom, I hesitated. I didn't want to go in his car because what I really thought is he was going to take me out of the desert and shoot me. She said, even after I was in the car, I still didn't believe him what he was saying. That he was sent and he was going to take me off into the desert and he was going to shoot me. And then he starts driving off into the desert and I think for sure now he's going to shoot me. 
until he pulled in front of the ranch where the other rescued workers were at. And she got out of the car and began walking to the ranch. Her knees wobbled. She lost her balance. She went to the floor, to the ground, crying and weeping, feeling freedom from fear for the first time in her life. Since, I mean, that's, yeah. Life can do this to you. Loneliness. How many of you feel a little bit driven by fear of loneliness? You know, you don't think you're very likable. People don't want to be around you. You talk too much. You smell too much. You, you know, all those kinds of things. So we become driven by fear and we, bec- we try to be somebody we're not so that we can be acceptable. Here's, here's the point. The Egyptian slave drivers were beating the Israelites, driving them in fear. And here's what God does. God says, I'm your father. I'm going to reach my hand back, take my hand, and I will lead you into peace. I will lead you into purpose. I will lead you into promises. I will lead you into joy unspeakable. I will lead you into love unfailing. I will lead you into all of these things. Remember, when the Israelites moved, how did they know where to go? There was a cloud a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The Israelites followed Yahweh, followed God into the promised land. Why? Because he was a father taking his child by the hand, leading him into peace. And that's the big question. Do you want, want to be driven? Want, oh, I might lose my job. Oh, I might... Well, I mean, you know... That's one way to live. Xanax kind of helps it, I guess. You know, you know, I know there's legitimate purposes for Xanax for other reasons, but I mean, you know, there's lots, you know, there's lots of ways we can try it. Or you want to be led by peace. Led by peace. And that's what God is saying. He says, I am the Lord you got, your God who led you out of Egypt. I led you out of that. You don't have to worship this golden calf. You, you, you don't need to do this. And for goodness sakes, don't let your children see you do this. That's not the society we're going to be. We're not going to be a society like all these other societies. They're going to come in and they're going to see a joyous, blessed, free from addiction society. That's what we're setting up right now, Israel. Will you trust me? Will you follow me? And then last but not least, he says, and this is where God comes out and says it. You shall not. <laughs> That's strong, isn't it? You know, <laughs> when I say that to my kids, they know I mean. You shall not do that. You know, but that's not how God is saying. So you shall not have any other gods before me. Now I know that this command may seem stern, but check it out. Imagine you go up to Yosemite Park and you go to Glacier Point. Right? Glacier Point's got a a three or four thousand foot drop, you know, off the cliff there. And you put the car in park, and all of a sudden, little Tommy runs out the backseat and he's running toward the edge of the cliff. And he turns around and he goes, Dad, look, look, isn't this great? Now, how many of you would get out of the car and go, Oh, little Tommy? I don't know if that's quite safe. Why don't you step a little closer to me? I think that might be best. 
Or how many of you would get out of the car and say, Stop! Don't go there! There's danger on the other side! There's pain down there! Get over here now! Get over here now! Right? I mean, I hope you would do that, you know? Run out of the car and grab them like, oh, you don't want to do that. That's what God is doing when he uses the emphatic. And why is he saying, you shall have no other gods before me? Because God knows. He is the only being in the universe who will never fail you. He'll never reject you. He'll never be mean to you. He'll never be done with you. He'll never hurt you. God the Father knows He is the best thing for you. He's not speaking from pride or egotism. He's speaking from truth. God knows I am the best thing for your life. Fill your life with me. And it'll be, it's going into the best places. So God's not saying, you shall not have no other gods because He's jealous of the other gods. He knows where the other gods will take him. That's why he left them in Egypt. So that they would never forget how horrible the other gods were. And then he comes. And he says, I want to lead you into freedom. Because I am a God of freedom. At the conference, there was a story we came across that has stuck with me. I've been thinking about it. There was a Middle Eastern general who, uh, when he took captives, he would bring them in, and there was a tent that he had where he sat, and he had a black door constructed on the side of the tent. And when the prisoners would come in, the general would look at them, and he would say, I give you two choices. You can either go out and face the firing squad or you can go through that black door. And he said, every single one of the prisoners went out to the firing squad because the pain that we know and that we are familiar with is more comfortable than the unknown beyond that black door. So one day, somebody came up and asked him, what was on the other side of that black door? And he said, there was a man standing there with civilian clothes. They would have walked through that door and they would have been freed instantly. But all of them chose the pain of what they knew over the unknown. What God is telling them and what I think he's telling us. Because God was unknown at that time to them. They'd only known the whip, crack of the whip. Some of us may only know the crack of the whip. But what God was telling them is, go through the door. Freedom is on the other side. Joy is on the other side. Forgiveness is on the other side. Mercy is on the other side. Compassion is on the other side. More importantly, a Father who loves you and will never fail you 
or forsake you is on the other side. Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. What a great time to go through that door. That door that Jesus placed before us. And he said in the book of Revelation, Behold, I give you an open door. An open door. God's doors are open for us to walk through. So this morning, I'd like to just give a very simple invitation. If you've never walked through that door and asked Jesus for forgiveness and made him your God and your Lord and Savior, do that this morning. I, I Trust me, I have nothing to gain from this. I'm not, it's not some ideology that I have anything to benefit from. This is just for you. It's just for you. But Christianity is not something we're just magically born into. At some point in our lives, we make that choice. We ask Jesus to forgive us. We ask the Holy Spirit to come inside us. We make Christ the Lord of our life. So this morning, if that's something you'd like to do, if you'd like to just say, you know what, that's it. I'm ready. It's time to do it. I've been holding out too long. But you know what? I got to make Christ the Lord of my life. Ask for that forgiveness. Be filled with the Spirit. Just go ahead and look up at me right now. Amen. 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 Let's pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, I bring my sin to you. I ask for forgiveness, and I make you the Lord and Savior of my life. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to make one more call. For those of you who are like, you know, Tom, I feel like I've got a slave driver in my life. It may be money. It may be finances. It may be loneliness. It may be health. It may be pride, it may be doubt, it may be unbelief, but it is like a slave driver punishing you with anxiety and confusion. You're like, you know, Tom, I want to trade that in for the Father's hand to be led by his peace. If you have one of those in an area of your life, I'd like you to stand up right now and just stand up in that freedom right now and just feel the weight of all of that running off of you. That's right. That's right. Come on. Heavenly Father, right now I pray for all those standing. May they right now have a renewed trust, trust in the peace of Father God. May they have a renewed faith that you will not let them end in a negative, that you will not abandon them to fate, but Lord, that in the hour of our need, in the perfect timing of the Lord, you will come. And like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they will walk out of furnaces. They will walk on water. They will defy emperors and, God, and kings. 
God, they will live up to every purpose they have for where God calls, He provides, and where He provides, He guides. And so, Lord, I pray, let the anxiety just fall apart right now. Let the padlocks bust open. And let your hand take their heart again and lead them in peace. In Jesus' name.